0: Glad all of you are here this morning. As yes, you can observe, the beautiful flowers behind me; those are left in memory of Brother Renford Johnston. Uh, his funeral was on Tuesday of this week, and of course, we are thinking about that family, remembering that family in our prayers, as well as others who've lost the loved uh, lost loved ones. Of course, today is Father's Day, but before I get into this idea of fatherhood, I want to share some thoughts. From husbands and wives, uh, from husbands and fathers to wives. I think these are some things that wives need to understand. I want us to look at a men's thesaurus here. You know, ladies, you need to understand that men don't always say what they mean. And so I want to sort of translate for your benefit. For example, when a man says it would take too long to explain he means I have no idea how it works. When a man says, take a break, honey, you're working too hard, it means really, I can't hear the game over the vacuum cleaner. Now, if you wanna write these down, it might be a benefit to you later on. When a man says, "Uh, that's interesting, dear, he means, are you still talking? When a man says, you know, it's a guy thing, he means there's no rational thought pattern connected with this and you have no chance at all of making it logical. When a man says, can I help with dinner? He really means, why isn't it ready yet? When a man says, "Uh uh-huh, sure, honey, yes, dear, it means absolutely nothing. It's a conditioned response. When a man says, you know how bad my memory is, what he means is that I can remember the theme song to Hogan's Heroes, and I can remember the telephone number of my first girlfriend, and I can remember the vehicle identification number of every car that I've ever owned, but I forgot your birthday. When a man says, oh, don't fuss, I just cut myself, it's no big deal, what he really means is I probably severed a limb, but I will bleed to death before I admit I'm hurt, so get over here and help me. When a man says, I can't find it, what he really means is it didn't fall into my outstretched hands, so I'm completely clueless. When a man says, I heard you, what he means is, I haven't the foggiest clue what you just said and I'm hoping desperately that I can fake it well enough so that you won't spend the next three days yelling at me. When a man says, you know, I could never love anyone else. What he really means is I'm used to the way you yell at me and I realize it could be worse. When a man says you look terrific, what he really means, oh please don't try on one more outfit, we're late and I'm starving. When a man says I'm lost, I'm not lost, I know exactly where we are, what he means is nobody's ever going to see us alive again. When a man says I don't think I can go today, what he means is that shopping is not a sport and no, I'm never going to think of it that way. When a man says, I don't remember saying that, he means anything that I've said six months ago is inadmissible in an argument. In fact, all past comments become null and void after seven days. When a man says, that's not what I meant, what he means is, is something can be interpreted in two ways. And one of those ways makes you sad or angry. I meant the other one. And then finally, if your husband says, honey, what color is this? What he means is, all men see in only 16 colors like Windows default settings. Peach, for example, is a fruit, not a color. Pumpkin is also a fruit, and I have no idea what top is. This morning, though, for the next few minutes, I want to share with the men As a father this morning, I want to talk with fathers. I want to talk with those who will one day be fathers. I don't share these things today as an individual who in any way believes that he has all the answers. I certainly don't have all the answers. I have three grown children here today. And who knows, this may be one of the last times that we'll ever be together on Father's Day all of us because you know people tend to go in their own ways and and believe it or not i I clearly remember the themes of some of those sermons that i preached years ago uh, on the family when i was in my early 20s and that was when i sincerely and genuinely believed that i had many of the answers and certainly when you're sincere and ignorant it's easy to believe that you have the answers. And now I know at least in part because of my ignorance. And Because I want to be sincere, honesty really demands that I confess that I'm really just beginning to understand the questions. In the first place this morning, you know, one of the most popular images of God in the Bible is God the Father. God is so commonly coupled with the concept of a father that we naturally think of God as our spiritual father. In fact, God is presented as a father in Bible history. For example, in Exodus 4 and verse 22, before Israel ever became a nation, Moses speaking for God told Pharaoh, Israel is my son, my firstborn. After Israel became a nation and before they entered the land of Canaan, God told those people in Deuteronomy 14 verse 1, You are the children of the Lord your God. Isaiah the prophet told Israel to call upon God as our father. Isaiah 64 and verse 8. Hosea the prophet told Israel that they were the sons of the living God, Hosea 1 in verse 10. And then you think about the presentation of God as our spiritual father and how that received enormous emphasis in the life and in the teachings of Jesus Christ. For example, at the baptism of Jesus, a, a voice from heaven said in Matthew 3 and verse 17, this is my beloved son. Or when Jesus was transfigured there on the mountain, a, a voice from a cloud said of Jesus, this is my beloved son, Matthew 17 and verse 5. Jesus frequently referred to God as my Father, Matthew 11 and verse 26, frequently in the gospel of John. But we need to also understand that Jesus also taught people to understand that God was their father. In fact, over in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45, Jesus told them to love their enemies in order that they might be the sons of your father who's in heaven jesus taught his disciples to pray our father who art in heaven matthew 6 and verse 9 and as jesus taught he he frequently referred to god as your father matthew chapter 6 matthew chapter 7 matthew chapter 10 and other places And from the book of Romans throughout the rest of the New Testament epistles, God's often referred to as, for example, God our Father, or our God and Father, or God the Father. And so I want us to understand today that the Bible teaches us to look at our relationship with God as a parent-child relationship a father-son, a father-daughter relationship. Well, somebody may ask the question, why are we taught to look at God as our spiritual father? You know, in one way, that seems rather strange. Since God is not a physical being, since God is not a sexual being, why should we look at God as a father figure? Well, it's a figure of comparison that helps us to understand two important things. First of all, God wants to have a relationship with us. And secondly, the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us is a relationship that exists in a healthy, loving, parent-child relationship. You know, the youngest books of the Bible are almost 2,000 years old. And when the books and letters of the Bible were written, the image of a father, the image of fatherhood was very good. It was very positive. And certainly fathers were not perfect in those ages, but the image of a good father was very powerful. It was very positive. When the books of the Bible were, were being written, you know, what was the image of a father? And I think these are some things that we need to apply to our lives as men. And we need to apply to our lives as fathers. What was the image of a father when the Bible was being written? Well, a good father provided protection for the family. You know, in those worlds back then, there were very few sources of Protection And for many, the father provided the only security in an uncertain world. But a good father with loving uh, concern also disciplined fairly, but never abused. He prepared his child for life in this world through loving discipline. Discipline was always concerned with the best interest of the child. Also, a good father, back in Bible days, was a critical source of supportiveness. He provided love and kindness. He also provided forgiveness and mercy. I want us now to do some practical thinking about a good father's role in his family. You know, when we turn to the New Testament, very little is said about a father as a parent. We do know the Bible says in Ephesians 6 and verse 5, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. Or Colossians 3 and verse 21 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children that they may not lose heart. Now the father-child relationship is a very complex relationship that becomes even more complex in the years of a child's adolescence. You know, being a father, an effective father, is basically a one-shot opportunity. There's no tried or proven way to build the father-child relationship. Each child is different. Each child is an individual from birth and what may be very effective with one child might be disastrous with another child. And I certainly have had many, many more failures than successes, and it's not even close. You know, the degree of success that we fathers have in building a long-lasting, effective, influential relationship with our children is strongly tied to being personally involved with our children at a very early age. You know, sometimes in childhood, one may grow up and one may rarely be around infants. One may rarely be around toddlers. And so when one like that becomes a father, it can be very frightening. That can affect one in two different ways being afraid maybe that the baby's going to break, or being clueless about how to interact with an infant or a small child. And so sometimes a father has to say about the firstborn, I had to learn on him. I said that becoming an effective father was a one shot opportunity with a child. That one shot lasts not more than a decade. Now, I certainly do not mean that you stop being a child's father in 10 years. I certainly do not mean that you cannot improve as a father after 10 years. I do mean that a father's effectiveness in his child's teen years is largely dependent upon the relationship he builds with his child in the first 10 years of his child's life. You know, when our children are grown, regardless of how much we learn, regardless of how much we may understand, we can't go back and we cannot redo our fathering. I really doubt that there are many good or bad fathers who would not like to do some things differently. I I certainly know there are many things that I would like to do much differently. And I think one of the ironies of life is that we gain much wisdom and understanding we need to be a good father after our children are grown. You know, we've got it down pat once they're out of the house. But you know, children cannot be programmed to become what we want them to become as adults. You know, there are three very powerful forces, three very powerful forces that will live on in our adult children's hearts and minds. Number one, the values that we taught them by the way that we lived and acted. Number two, there is the concepts that we help them to understand because we shared ourselves. And number three, the love we taught them through the love that we gave them. Now these three forces will influence their adult relationships more powerfully than maybe any instruction we gave them or any demands that we placed upon them. The time is going to come very rapidly when children will make their own choices. And that time is going to come whether we want it to or not. It's going to happen whether we think they're ready to do it or not. And from that moment forward, what happens in that child's life is going to depend upon his or her decisions. And so as parents, we watch, we rejoice, we grieve, but they choose. And when our children become adults, we become restricted in what we can share we are, for example, restricted by opportunity. You know, Because of the nature of our culture and our society and the reality of economics today, families scatter. Families live all over the country, all over the world, and so scattering greatly reduces our opportunity to share. We're also restricted by our children's perception of us. Now we don't stop growing, we don't stop changing as parents after our children leave home. But to our children, we are the same person that they knew as a child. And because they do not live with us, they cannot see that development. And so we are restricted by our child's perception of us. We're also restricted by transition. You know, we have never lived in the world of our adult children. The world we lived in when we were their age is radically different. I didn't use a a cell phone until maybe 20 years ago. Things are much different now. Technology-wise, the way the world functions the, day, the daily world that we live in today differs radically from the daily world they live in. And so you see, these three qualities severely restrict the sharing that we can do. Well, somebody may ask the question, Doug, are, are there some things that you wish you had done differently? Oh, we can sit down all afternoon and I can make a list of many things that I wish I had done differently. For example, some may wish that they had been more involved in their children's lives when they were small, or maybe wishing that they had spent more time with them throughout their childhood. And certainly we can become so involved in work and, and other things that we do that we don't spend the time with them that we need to spend with them. I know as a preacher, I was so busy with the work of the church and helping other people, I always had to be cautious and careful to make sure that I shared enough of myself with them. I certainly wish I'd given Jody more help and support in those younger years. You know, I was the preacher, so I was always up front. I never really was with the family during church, and she had to handle three small children all by herself. Well, You probably could have used some help, but I wasn't there to help. But when it comes to spending time with my children, I have many, many regrets, but, you know, that really isn't one of them. I went to practices. I made sure I was at all their games. And there were very few instances When one of my children would come to me, if I'm in my house saying, let's go out and play ball, there were very few instances where I said no. I always went out and we always played ball. We always did the things they wanted to do. So I don't have regrets as far as that goes. Or I do wish maybe I could have one more opportunity. Those times quickly pass by more quickly than we like to think. And so as one father to other fathers, I want to share three thoughts with you. Number one, don't try to live life through your children. Number two, build and sustain a loving relationship with your child quickly. And number three, invest heavily in building a relationship in the first 10 years of your child's life if you want to be a significant part of their life in their teenage years. You know, a sober realization to fathers, I think, is very important. The way our children look at us as a father is going to powerfully influence the way those children look as God as their father. You know, his, his pants may be baggy, his coat may be worn. He, he may not drive a fancy car or bring home a big paycheck, but if his children watch and wait for him to come home from work with their noses pressed against the windowpane, you can trust that man with absolutely anything in this world. And may God give every father wisdom and courage may every father search for wisdom and courage in Christ you know it's very special I believe to watch a loving and confident father interact with an infant but the image of God being our father is also a wonderful image and we need to trust our God we need such a father And today, that's why you need to be a child of God. And you can make God your father by making Christ your savior. And you can make Christ your savior by giving him your sins. If you're willing to believe on him with all of your heart, If you're willing to repent, turn from your past way of life, acknowledge him as the son of God and be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ will be your savior and God will be your father. And you can live a life in service to God, your father. And if that's the need you have today, we invite you to come while we stand and sing.